Let's open our Bibles together to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. We read this chapter in connection with the sixth commandment, Thou shalt not kill. Let's read the whole chapter together. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. That far we read the Holy Scriptures. 
Let's consider the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is based on the Scriptures, Lord's Day 40 this morning. What doth God require in the sixth commandment? That neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor, by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge, also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger. Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder. In forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all these as murder. But is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No, for when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now considering the second table of God's law and the love that we owe to our neighbor for God's sake. Having seen last time that we must first learn this love for our neighbor in the home as children by learning to honor our father and our mother because of their God-given authority, This morning, we are going to begin to see the specific duties of love that we owe to each of our neighbors, not just our parents, and to do that by looking at each of the remaining commandments in God's law. Each of the remaining commandments teaches us a specific area of life and specific duties which we owe in that area of life in loving our neighbor. The seventh commandment, which we will come to next time, requires love for our neighbor in the whole area of marriage and the sexual aspects of life. The eighth commandment requires love for our neighbor in respect to his money and possessions, as well as my own. The ninth commandment requires love for my neighbor in respect to the truth, and in respect to his reputation and his name. The Tenth Commandment requires love for my neighbor in respect to the inner domain of my heart when it says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's things. What about the Sixth Commandment? Thou shalt not kill. In this commandment, God teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves in respect to his very life and in respect to his person. Do not kill your neighbor, but love him in respect to his life and person. 
So I call your attention to this commandment under the theme, the command against murder. Let's notice, first of all, the negative, forbidden to kill my neighbor. Secondly, the positive, required to love my neighbor. And finally, that I am also called to love myself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the sixth commandment, God says to us, thou shalt not kill. In this commandment, God forbids me to kill another man. God forbids you to kill another human being. And the reason God forbids that is because in the beginning, God created human beings in his own image and after his own likeness as a creature of higher intelligence, of higher morality, higher responsibility. And therefore, God forbids us to kill another human being because that act degrades and cheapens human life which God created as a thing of great value. Now we all know that when an accident happens, that is not murder. When a man is driving his car down the road and accidentally he crashes into another person's car and he kills that man unintentionally and without any purpose, that's not murder. Or if a man by use of a weapon accidentally kills another person, that is not murder either. We explain the end of that man's life this way, that God, in his sovereign control over all life and death, had appointed that it was at that time and in that way that that person was going to die and leave this life. That's an accident. But what God forbids is that we deliberately and intentionally kill another human being. God forbids that we, while driving that car, intentionally drive into another human being with the purpose of trying to kill him. Or intentionally, we pull the trigger while aiming it at another person, intentionally trying to kill him. That is murder. Murder is the deliberate attempt to end the life of my neighbor. It is the intentional attempt to destroy the person of my neighbor and to remove him from this world. That God abhors, and that God forbids as a dreadful sin. It doesn't really make any difference, according to the Catechism, if we kill a person with our own hands, or if we do that through someone else. If we pay someone to kill our neighbor, that also God considers murder, and we are responsible for that deed. It also doesn't make a difference ultimately if a person succeeds in killing his neighbor or fails in his attempt to kill the neighbor so that he doesn't actually end the neighbor's life. In both respects, a man is trying to kill his neighbor and God considers it murder and he abhors it. You see, God reserves for himself the sovereign power and authority to give life and to take away life. God reserves that authority for himself. He doesn't give that authority to every man. God reserves for himself the right to give a human life, as we celebrate as a congregation this week, in the birth of a little child. And God reserves for himself the right to take away human life at his appointed time and in his appointed way. 
He forbids us to seize for ourselves the right to end a human life. That includes the right, he does not give us the right to end a human life of an unborn baby still inside the womb of his or her mother through what is known as abortion. Nor does God give us the right to end a human life of a mentally or terminally ill person in the nursing home or in the hospital through what is known as euthanasia. God counts all of those as murder, and he abhors it. He doesn't give every human being the authority to take away human life. He reserves that for himself. But, as the Catechism mentions, God does give that authority to the magistrate in a certain limited respect. He gives that right to the government to take away a human life to execute a criminal who is a murderer. When the government puts to death a criminal through capital punishment, the government is not committing murder. The government is executing its sword power. God has given to it the power and the right to execute the murderer in order to deter and prevent murder in society. Sadly and wickedly, in the day and age in which we live, governments in the Western world refuse to use that sword power. They refuse to execute the criminal, to put to death the murderer in society. But God gives that right to governments to do so, and that is not murder. But the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us on the basis of the scriptures, that God not only forbids the outright physical deed of murder, but he also forbids all those words and expressions whereby we seek to dishonor, hate, and wound our neighbor. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. In that passage, Jesus is teaching us that in the sixth commandment, God does not only forbid that we actually kill another human being, he forbids all those words and gestures and expressions by which we express our anger and wrath and indignation toward another human being. And Jesus considers that to be killing. We are killing our neighbor when we say mean things to him or her. We are killing our neighbor when we mock him, when we ridicule him, when we laugh him to scorn because of something about him or her that we consider foolish or laughable or weak. We are killing our neighbor when we do cruel things to him, when we push him down to the ground, when we kick him in the ribs, when we punch him in the stomach or the face, or when we simply lift up our hand and certain finger on our hand toward our neighbor to express our hate of him. God considers all of that to be murder. Any attempt by words or gestures or deeds to make our neighbor suffer, 
to make him miserable, to hurt him. To hurt him physically or to hurt him emotionally, to cut him down and bury him is murder. Do we ever do those things? Children, do we ever do those things? At school, on the playground, do we ever say mean things to the other children? Do we ever mock them? Do we ever laugh them to scorn and ridicule them for something about them? Do we ever push, kick, hit? That's all murder. That's murder. When we do that, we're breaking God's commandment. Bullying in all forms is murder. God forbids us to bully other people, to treat them badly. That's killing them. And not only do children bully and, and mock and treat badly other children, but adults do this as well, don't we? And when adults abuse their neighbor, that's murder. Whether it's a husband abusing his wife in the home through the words that he uses to cut her down or his fists that he uses to hurt her, or whether it's a man abusing another adult in the church or at the workplace, physically or emotionally abusing another person to gratify our own lusts is murder. Whether that's to gratify our sexual lusts through sexual abuse, or whether it's to gratify our, our selfish desire to make ourselves ego better than someone else, that's murder, whatever the cause, whatever the reason. But revenge is also murder. And when one person hits me, if I hit him back, then I am just as guilty as him. If one person bullies me, punches me, mocks me, but then I mock him back, punch him back, I am guilty of murder as well. God considers me a murderer if I make the argument, well, he insulted me first, and therefore I insulted him back. I'm just giving him an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. God says, no, then you're a murderer too. Jesus says if someone slaps you on the cheek and you turn and you give him the other cheek as well, you don't slap him back. If you do, you're a murderer. But the Heidelberg Catechism shows us that God not only forbids these expressions, but he also forbids the causes of murder in the heart. It could be that we never express those causes But if those causes and those thoughts and those desires are in our hearts, we are already a murderer. The Heidelberg Catechism makes that plain when it says that neither in thoughts, words, gestures, or deeds, not even in thoughts, may I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. God forbids hatred. In the chapter that we read, 1 John 3, verse 15, the apostle taught us that whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If we have hatred in our heart toward our neighbor, that is murder. And you know, hatred is the root cause of all murder. Hatred. And that's a big problem for us, isn't it? Because if we go back to Lord's Day 2 of the Heidelberg Catechism, we remind ourselves that we are prone by nature to hate. We are prone by nature to hate God and our neighbor, just like other men. We too, as Christians, 
are prone by nature, according to our old man of sin, to hate. And that hatred is the root of all murder. Hatred is not a mere fleeting emotion. But hatred is a very deep, selfish attitude of the heart that devalues the life of my neighbor, that cheapens his life, that sees no worth in his life, whether in this world or in the world to come, and that hatred, which devalues the life of my neighbor, also desires the termination of his life and also desires to remove this neighbor from my life. When he gets in my way, when he thwarts me, frustrates me, and irritates me, that's hatred. And maybe hatred is not the deepest root of murder, but selfishness is. Because I think we can all see that hatred is rooted in selfishness. Selfishness is the idolatry of myself. Selfishness is the obsession with myself, with all things having to do with myself, with my desires, with my ambitions, with my hopes and dreams, so that we are willing to do anything, at any cost, to accomplish what we want to do. That's selfishness. And selfishness, this being wrapped up in ourselves, produces hatred of the neighbor. Because the neighbor is the person that God has put in my life to limit me, to prevent me from doing all the things I want to do, to frustrate me, to stand in my way, to thwart me. That's my neighbor. And in our miserable selfishness, we hate our neighbor. We have this attitude in which we do not consider his life to have any worth, And indeed, we desire the termination of his life, either by our own hands or by the hands of another. We desire this neighbor to be removed from my life. That's hatred. And that hatred is ultimately hatred of God. Because when we hate the neighbor, we also hate the God who put that neighbor there. God abhors hatred, and hatred takes many different forms according to the Catechism. The Catechism mentions envy. Envy is a form of hatred. Envy means that I hate my neighbor because of his success. I hate my neighbor because of his prosperity. And envy is a little different from jealousy. Jealousy is bad too, but jealousy means that I look at my neighbor and his success and his wealth and his health, and I want that for myself. But envy means that I look at my neighbor and his success and his wealth and health, and I hate him for it. That's envy. Envy is a terrible, dreadful sin that can take root and take control of a man's heart so that he becomes a cold, bitter man toward his neighbor. That's envy. That's murder. In the second place, there's anger. Anger is also a form of hatred. Anger is a hot form of hatred, a hot, unholy reaction to something that my neighbor has done. 
and which expresses itself in all kinds of ways. We already saw that in Matthew 5, our Lord Jesus says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Because we know that there is such a thing as a righteous anger. There is such a thing as anger with a cause, with a just cause. When the believer is angry at the other man who he hears blaspheming the name of his God, it's a righteous anger. When the believer is angry when he hears about a man abusing little children, that's a righteous anger. When the believer hears of a man preaching heresies in the church or causing schism in the church, wreaking havoc in the body of Christ, that's a righteous anger. Now, even our righteous anger is always defiled with sin. We don't have perfect anger ever. But there is a righteous anger. There is also an unrighteous anger. And most of our anger is unrighteous. The Lord Jesus talks about anger without a cause. That's the kind of anger which is this unholy, hot, reaction that rises up within us against our neighbor when he has done something to irritate me, when he has done something to frustrate me, when he has thwarted me, when he has limited me, when he has rebuked me, when he has criticized me, me, when he has done all those things to me. This is the kind of anger in which we get red in the face And our eyes practically bulge out of their sockets. And our body starts to quiver. And we start to shout and pound our fists and break things. That's murder. And God abhors it. In the third place, the Catechism mentions desire of revenge. Not only is revenge wrong, but even the desire of revenge The desire of revenge is the unholy desire to take justice into our own hands. To take it away from God because God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't take vengeance. I will take vengeance. I will make all things right. I will bring judgment on the sinner, the man who sinned against you. I will do that. You don't do it. The desire of revenge is I want to do it. And we take that for ourselves. We think that we can do better than God. We think that we should be the ones to take revenge. But God says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. These are the causes of murder, and God accounts them all as murder. We've all done these things. But our greatest sin is that we have killed the Son of God himself. When God sent his only begotten Son into the world, who clothed himself in our human nature and took upon himself a human life and a human soul, and he entered the world and walked among us. We killed him. 
together with the Jews, together with the Romans, with Herod and Pontius Pilate, we killed him. We killed him because we hated him, because we were angry at him for the things he said, because we were envious of him because of his popularity, because we wanted to take revenge upon him when he criticized us and rebuked us for our sins. We didn't want to hear what Jesus said. We didn't want that kind of a king. And so we killed him. We were there in Jerusalem that day when the multitudes of people before the judgment seat of Pilate shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said, Why? What evil has he done? And we said, Crucify him! Crucify him! Away with such a man from the earth! And his hands and feet were nailed to the cross. And as he hung there on the cross, we were among those who reviled him and who mocked him and said, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. You saved others, but you cannot save yourself. We did that. We said that. But the marvelous gospel of peace and salvation is that in the midst of all of the chaos of the cross, in the midst of all of the wickedness of man, nailing the blessed Son of God to the cross, God was there. And God was there giving His Son to us, giving His precious Son to that death of the cross. And the Son of God was there giving Himself, His life not taken away, but He giving His life for us, laying down His life for us, for us who killed Him. And doing that in order to manifest to us the greatness of God's love. In this epistle, the Apostle John is going to go on to say, God is love. God is love. And in this was manifested the love of God toward us, that he gave us his only begotten Son, that through his blood he might make a sacrifice for our sins. So that, the chapter we read, begins with those beautiful words, soul-stirring words. Every time I read them, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will see him. And we will be like him. The Son of God came into this world and was murdered. But in his murder, he was giving himself by his own power and authority. And the Apostle has taught us that the reason was not only to wash away our sins through his blood, but also so that, verse 8, He might destroy the works of the devil. He gave his blessed body to die on the cross so that he might destroy the works of the devil in our lives. And he does that through the preaching of his word today and from Sunday to Sunday. When we preach Christ crucified and when we preach the love of Christ and the love of God in Christ, 
And then we come with the command of God, don't kill, but love your neighbor. Through that process of the gospel, Jesus in heaven is breaking the power and the works of the devil in our lives. So he comes to us this morning and says, This is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, who murdered his brother Abel. Why? Because his brother Abel's works were righteous, and his works were not righteous. It was because of envy. It was because of hatred that he murdered his brother. And the apostle says, You have heard this message, dearly beloved. Love one another. Not like Cain. Don't kill. Love for the neighbor is not a mere fleeting emotion. Just like we saw, hatred is not a fleeting emotion, but hatred is a selfish attitude of the heart that devalues the life of my neighbor and wants to terminate his life. Love is just the opposite. Love is a selfless attitude of the heart in which we value the life of our neighbor and in which we want to do everything to preserve his life, to promote his life in this world and in the world to come. That's love for the neighbor. Even if that neighbor does not love me. This love for the neighbor that we are to have is rooted in faith. There is no love for the neighbor in the heart of the unbeliever. But only in the heart of the believer is it even possible for there to be love for the neighbor. It's rooted in faith. It flows out of faith because by faith we believe in this God who first loved us. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. And it's that faith in Christ who first loved us that produces the fruit of love for our neighbor. It produces the fruit that we don't want to hurt him, but we want to do everything we can to prevent any hurt being done to him. And we want to do good to him. We want to bless him. We want to pray for him. We want to do anything we can, even at the cost of our precious time, even at the cost of our precious money, and even at the cost of our precious life. The apostle says, Jesus laid down his life for us, and this is our love, that we lay down our lives for the brethren. We give. Love is a willingness to give. To give of myself for the good of others. To give and give and keep on giving. To do good to my neighbor, whatever the cost might be to me. Whatever that pain there might be for me. And that love, which is a selfless, self-sacrificing, giving, 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 giving for the neighbor, is unconditional. It does not love the neighbor out of the secret hope of gaining something in return from the neighbor, but it loves the neighbor merely for God's sake. Merely because of what God did for me. That is the love we are to have for our neighbor. This love also takes many forms according to the Catechism. And in the first place, love takes the form of patience. Love for the neighbor means that I am patient with my neighbor. God requires me to be patient. Patience is not just a nice, warm, lovely thing. It is. Patience 
is a requirement of God's law. God says, be patient with your neighbor. That is, be patient with the neighbor who bothers you. The neighbor who irritates you. The neighbor who is always there nagging you. Always there making your life difficult, provoking you. By his constant requests, his constant criticisms, his constant behavior that rubs you the wrong way. Be patient with him. Love beareth all things, and love endureth all things. In the second place, there is peace. Love comes in the form of peace, seeking peace, maintaining peace, and making peace where there is no peace. God requires that too. Love is not quarrelsome. Love is not a brawler. Love seeks peace. In Romans 12, the apostle says, As much as in us lies, as much as possible, live peaceably with all men. As much as you can. That means that we are not to be people who like to make trouble, who like to stir up controversy for the sake of controversy, who like to provoke battles for the sake of fighting. But we are to be people who seek peace. God says, seek peace. And we know from the rest of Scripture that does not mean a peace that sacrifices truth. That's not a peace that sacrifices righteousness. There are holy battles that have to be fought. Jesus even said, I came down to the earth not to bring peace on earth, but a sword. And yet, he says also, blessed be the peacemakers. So he calls us to fight the good fight and to seek peace in all those areas of life where we are not to be fighting. In the third place, there's meekness. God commands us to be meek. He commands us to be mild, to be gentle, to have a soft word, not to be easily provoked. You see, meekness means That when someone does something to me that hurts, I don't do anything back to him to hurt him. Meekness means I don't lash back. But, as the proverb puts it, a soft answer turneth away wrath. A soft answer. In the fourth place, the Catechism mentions mercy. Mercy is also a form of love. And God says, just as I have been abundantly merciful toward you, you must be merciful toward your neighbor. Mercy means that when I see my neighbor who is in need, I help him. I take compassion on him. I show pity towards him. And as the Apostle John said in our chapter, don't just love your neighbor In words, it's very easy just to say, I wish you well. But he says, love your neighbor in deeds. Do something. Mercy means that we do something to help the neighbor who is in need. To alleviate his misery. 
to fill his need, whether it's hunger or poverty or, or sickness, or whether he's walking in sin. Mercy means that we do not hold a grudge against our neighbor, but we forgive those who have sinned against us. We take mercy on the orphan and the widow, the poor and the sick and the stranger, and all those in need. In the fifth place, the catechism mentions kindness. When God says, love your neighbor, he means be kind. Don't be mean. Don't be cruel with your words, with your actions. Don't mock people. Don't bully people. Be kind. Children, be kind to the other children at school, on the playground. Be kind on the bus. Adults, be kind to each other. As the apostle says, God has been so kind to us. Ephesians chapter 4. Let us be kind to each other. The catechism says the love that God requires of us is so radical that we are even to do good to our enemies. In that same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it hath been said, Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you and persecute you. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. Love your enemies. Now sometimes it is brought up an apparent contradiction between Psalm 139 and Matthew 5. Because in Psalm 139, David says, O Lord, do not I hate them that hate thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. But then Jesus says, I tell you to love your enemies. How can that be? Well, to solve that apparent difficulty, I ask you to imagine a Christian in the early church in Jerusalem where a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus was going through the streets seeking Christians to capture them and imprison them and kill them for their faith in Christ. If you were a Christian in Jerusalem in those days and the name Saul of Tarsus was mentioned, you would hate that man as an enemy of the cause of Christ at that time. But if you came face to face with him, if he captured you and threw you into prison, if you were one of those early Christians who knew that you were an enemy of God, but God loved you, then you would not spew forth that holy hatred into his face, but you would love him. You would bless him. You would pray for him. You would say, Sir, although you're doing this to me, although you're imprisoning me, I pray for your salvation. And no doubt that happened. And God answered those prayers. And by a wonder of grace, converted Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and shed his love abroad in his heart so that he became Paul the Apostle. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Finally, God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
And so there's a calling also that we love ourselves. The calling to love ourselves ought to be considered this way. We are to love ourselves, not in that selfish sense that I mentioned earlier. We are to love ourselves for God's sake. We are to love ourselves because God loves us. We are to love ourselves by not killing ourselves. We are to recognize also about ourselves that we too are a human being. And as a Christian, I have been recreated in the image of God. I am not a beast. I am a human being, a creature that God has made, a creature of higher intelligence and responsibility and morality. And in fact, I'm a creature that God loves. God loves me. And that's why I must love myself. As the Catechism puts it, also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger. I ask you, do you love yourself? You must. And you must love yourself because God loves you. And because God has given the gift of his Son to die on the cross for you. Don't hate yourself. Don't say that I hate myself. And don't hate yourself. Don't listen. If the enemy is ever whispering in your ear that you ought to hate yourself, don't listen to that. That's the enemy. That's the devil. Don't listen. Don't listen. If suicidal thoughts are rising up in your mind, don't listen to those thoughts. Love yourself. Love yourself for God's sake. As a creature of God that Jesus loved so much that he gave up his life to the miserable death of the cross for you. Love yourself because Jesus loves you. And Jesus died so that you would not kill yourself, but so that your life would be worth living with a view to eternity. The Catechism says, let us not hurt ourselves or willfully expose ourselves to any danger. That means recognizing that God made me, God made my body, my soul, my mind, And God saved me. God is gracious to me. I must take care of myself for God's sake. Not idolizing my body, not idolizing my my gifts and skills and talents, but I'm to take care of myself. I'm to nourish my body as best as I can. I'm to fight against all the temptations that come to me to abuse my body in various ways, to abuse my mind, to abuse my soul to do things that I ought not to do, that are not good for me, that are not good for my body, not good for my mind, not good for my soul. I'm to avoid all those things. I'm to not expose myself to danger willfully. I'm not to to expose myself to death willfully. So let us examine ourselves. 
examine ourselves regarding our love for the neighbor. And how is it that in my life now, I'm failing to love a particular neighbor in my sphere of life? And then also we must examine ourselves about our view of ourselves. Do we love ourselves for God's sake? Then let us not hurt ourselves willfully, but let us love our neighbor as ourself. Amen. Our gracious God and Father, we give thee thanks for thy precious gospel that thou hast loved us so greatly, who are so unworthy. We pray that the knowledge of the love of Christ for us that has washed away all of our murderous thoughts and deeds might also stir us up this morning to a new resolution to show love to our neighbor for thy sake and to love ourselves as well. Work in us, Father, that we might repent of all sins and that we might cleave to Christ by faith and find strength to live